Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Really lovely of you to uh, to listen and download and subscribe and all that sort of thing. And thanks very much to Charles Louis. Uh, they're, of course, mortgage advisors. This is free for you to listen to. And we really appreciate their support. They are an advisory business. They advise on development, finance, mortgage advice and estate agency. They started out life as a simple mortgage company, offering buy-to-let, first-time buyer-moving-home uh, mortgages, but they now provide support for the whole property transaction process, including an independent estate agent and an expert commercial financial team and a renowned mortgage team. And I'm very, very grateful uh, for their support. Um, today, we've got, um, or we were going to have anyway, joining us throughout the podcast, um, a, a former city player, uh, Michelle Vonk, joining us. and. We have tried to, to chat to him, but we had a few technical issues. Now, in a few moments, you will hear, hopefully, some of what he had to say, the bits that we could we could rescue. Um, so um, on that basis, he's not going to be with us all the way through. But I do have Amy and I do have Paul, who are regular members of the Feather Blue podcast team. I know that Amy and Paul are, are both... Uh, people who do jobs that are very valuable out in society. Uh, Amy is a a nursery teacher and I know you've got all the kids back screaming which is what you like to have and Paul's been a key worker throughout all this fixing people's cars um, and and soldiering on so two heroes as far as I'm concerned. Um, How's it been for you Amy? I mean are you are you coping okay now now that you've got all these kids screaming around your feet again but you're glad to have them back aren't you? Yeah 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 it's just a cuddle it's just like you know the little cheeky faces um but yeah no we're glad to have them back um like i say my my room's been the bit busiest so um i look after under twos like 15 months to two years so um yeah we've been really busy um like i say we we are based on word of mouth most of the time because some of our parents have uh, brought the children, their younger children back. Um, I've been at Georgie Pardews now for 16 years. Um, but um, I started training when I was You can't have been 16. there for 16 years. You're not old enough. No, I started training when I was 16. And then um, I started Georgie Pardews when I was 19. And I'm nearly 36 now. So I have been there a long, long time. Um but my bosses are big city fans as well, so that helps. I think that's why I got the job. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, but no, I, I do love it. I mean, you know, like any job, it has its stresses and strains, but it, it's rewarding. And you know, you're setting these little people out on the on the way through life, and you hope that you know you've set them out on a good path. And we have, you know, on Facebook, I have parents whose children I used to look after, and it's nice when you can see how well they're doing and how they're doing at school and how well they're growing up and some of my oldest children are like in the teenage years now so it's making me feel very old so one of my eldest is like 18 19 something like that who I used to look after at another nursery um so yeah it's uh it's nice it's nice to see them going on their little way and uh I hope I make a difference that's that's all I can ever hope for I'm sure you. I'm sure you do. And obviously, talking of old people, we've got Paul with us on the podcast <laughs> as well today, who um, who is is a key worker in the truest sense because you've been people cars on the road. I think you look after NHS staff sometimes, don't you as well? So, uh, how have you coped throughout all this, Paul? Um, to be honest, it's been hard. To be honest, it's, it's been up and down. The government didn't help us once the. Um, they, they, they stopped the MOTs, uh, suspended them for six months. So that kind of was a very scary moment for us because the word just dried up. Um, but having said that, I've, I've got, everyone will say it, but I've got an amazing customer base. Um, you know, I've got, you know, blue, blue light workers, I like to call them, um, you know, doctors, nurses, teachers. You know, I've, I've, I've picked up loads of new customers because many places were shut. So I've picked up loads of new customers. And to be honest with you, I've picked up loads on Twitter. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what's gone on, but um, I've got loads of people on Twitter who follow me and I've, I've, they've actually been coming through my door now. Um, so, you know, I'm getting to meet them, which is which is great. It's so good to meet people who you've ever... Meeting people. What, what a luxury. <laughs> obviously, obviously, socially distanced with our masks on, obviously, but um, 
no, it's it's been great, and um, I can only thank the customers. Um, I can't thank them enough. That keeps us going, and it's like Amy just said there. It's it's so so funny to see. I've been doing it for thirty six years now, which frightens me because that's the same age Amy's at. So I've been working as long as she's been alive. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I do feel really old now. But no, I do. Customers who I've had for thirty six years, I've I've got their kids' cars coming into me now, um, and you know I'll be having their kids' cars coming to me hopefully. So. Um, no, it's great. It's great. I've uh, I, I love my job and I, I love meeting people. And it, so that's been the downside for me is the 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 interaction with people. Um, I'm a people person. And I like the interaction. Like like Amy said there, she likes to calls off the little kids and all that. It's it's just meeting them, meeting people and having a chat. We've also got Harlan with us uh, for this uh, this section. Um, I know he's. He's still uh, getting himself ready because he's coming at the last minute because of the problems we had with Michelle Vonk. Um, but um, we'll talk to him in just a moment. Uh, you two, first of all, tell me what you you thought of the the Fulham game and the the bounce back game, as it were, in midweek after the defeat in the derby. I mean, were you expecting it to be as smooth as that? And when it came to the Fulham game, there were a hell of a lot of changes that Pep made that raised a few eyebrows. But everything still seemed to go smoothly, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think um, Fulham had played really well. Um, I think we had a couple of like hard matches that you know after United, and um, I think we played really, really well. And um, when I looked at the team, it didn't bother me whatsoever because I was like, I was like, first of all, I was like, yeah, you're great, I was playing. And then like the other time was like, you know, I thought at the end of the day. We've got a good team. We've got a good team, and we've got a good bunch of blokes out there who, you know, who give hundred and ten percent. And it didn't bother me about the team selection. I just thought, oh right, okay. And then I was like, oh, where's Sterling? But then it was like, um, but yeah, no. Um, I was I was really happy with the performance. And I say on Twitter, you know, people just suddenly all the haters disappeared after they'd had the little moan. Um, about it all and um poor Mendy, you know, as usual, but I thought he had a really good game. Um but yeah, I wasn't I, I wasn't fussed about the selection at all. I, I just thought, oh right, okay, you've you've swapped it round again. Still a good bunch of blokes on the pitch and that's that's all, you know, we had a good game. What do you think, Paul? I mean, were you expecting it to be as smooth a bounce back? There's some people feared that after the United defeat, that that might you know unsettle them a little bit, but it doesn't seem to have done, does it? Um, you know me, and I'm, I'm old school, so every time we play, I think we're going to get beat. Even now, even now. So um, I, there was this big outcry on Twitter for some reason about this this team that Pep had picked and he'd made some drastic changes and it was it was going to be this, it was going to be that. It doesn't matter what team Pep puts out. All the players interact. They move into different positions. I mean, Ireland's with us now and he'll, he'll be able to go into that a little bit more, I'm sure, because he, he analyses, you know, stuff really well. So um, it doesn't matter what 11 he puts out there. They're all going to perform. So I didn't think for one moment, oh, God, we've not got Gundogan on. It's only when the camera panned across it to the bench and you looked at the bench and I thought, wow, what a bench that is. Um, we've, got to make, we've got to make changes because of the games coming up. Um, we, we don't have the luxury like Liverpool. You know, like Liverpool a few seasons ago, they had no injuries. Um, the team picked itself. You know, the, he's got one sort of starting 11 and then if, if there was an injury, he had to, he had to have make a decision to put somebody in. Um, but Pep's not had that. We've been fighting on on all fronts for since Pep's been here, to be honest. And we, we have to mix and mingle. And we've, he's built a squad. And, you know, the players in that squad um, realise the roles they play. And they might not be able to play every week. And that's just, you know, that's how it is. But the players in that squad know that when they come to City now, that's how it is. Harlan's with us now. So we're welcome, Harlan. I know you've... Uh... You've also tried to get through this whole pandemic the best you can. I've asked Amy and Paul how they've coped, so it would be a little remiss of me not to ask you. How have you coped through, through this uh, long period without attending games and, I mean, uh, you know, work-wise and all that? Are you OK? 
it's, it's just difficult, isn't it? Like, you know, the thing for me yesterday and was was the announcement that fans might be able to go to the to the final um, and that I unfortunately checked my Facebook memories the day that you'd posted about the West Ham game, which was my last home, uh, last home game. Um, and that was 12 months the other week. Um, and I think all year until we, until we got to that 12 month mark, it just felt like we'd not been in the Etihad for a long, long time. But in life, as you well know, we all, we all um, in a positive way, usually look at landmarks in our lives and look at, I said landmarks, look at milestones, shall I say, in our lives. Um, this was a particular milestone I wasn't happy to celebrate. Uh, usually after a year of something, an anniversary, a wedding, um, you know, a birth of your child, a birthday, a Christmas, for example, you'd celebrate a year. Um, I felt sick, if I'm honest with you, that I'd not been to the ground for a whole year. And when I'd watched old videos back on my phone, I'd been sorting folders out on my phone, I'd looked through videos, I'd gone through a folder of pictures of me and Jess at the games, travelling home from games, uh, fixtures, results. And, and you know, Chelsea 6-0, being there for that, 8-0 against Watford, being there for that, being 5-0 up in, was it 18 minutes or something? You know, and, and then seeing us lift the title twice at Uddersfield, what a party day that was. And mi missing out on them moments has made me a bit sad because I know we're probably not going to be there this year um, for that. But other, other than that, Ian, just trying to stay positive, um, almost got used to the fact now of watching every game on television and just trying to be as, as positive as possible. But you know me, I, I mean, the game's on, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, I'd much rather be there, though, at the Etihad. And I do think that if we'd have been there in the derby, we'd have made a huge difference, especially in the second half when we were quite sluggish and uh, and quite defensively poor at times in the game, especially in midfield, when we allowed Bruno Fernandes, um, you know, Rashford, Martial to, to quite frankly do what they've not been able to do to many teams this year. And, and run a bit riot in midfield at times, and, and, and especially on the counter-attack. So I think we'd have made a huge difference that day, and I don't think we'd have let our team slack off in a derby the way they did at times. How's Pep pulling this off that he can make so many changes? So uh, you you mentioned that, the fantastic bench at Fulham, and it, the bench was arguably better than the team, uh, you know, but that's a matter <laughs> of opinion. But how can, how can Pep pick that team against Fulham on their ground, a team that had just beaten Liverpool at Anfield and yet still cruised through. I mean, it, tactically, it was completely different. It was a back three with two wing-backs. There was only really, you know, Bernardo was a recognised attacking midfield player. Rodri was a sitting one, and the rest of them were all, in theory, strikers. It, it made no sense logically. But when I sat and watched, saw that team, I thought, it won't make the slightest bit of difference. But how do you explain that? Majestic here, isn't it? You know, he, he sets up his team to face a specific opposition. I've said it for years since we, you know, since since Pep came. Uh, maybe it didn't work at times in the first season because he needed to kind of get a grip. You know, all right, teams change each year. Three teams go down, three teams come up. Um, but it needed Pep. I think Pep needed that year to get used to how a team plays. So each team has its own identity. A lot of people think Bolton were a long ball side back in the day. Burnley are quite a physical side. Uh, Brighton, quite a good football inside, but not got the quality. Uh, you look at us, a great football inside, tremendous quality. Crystal Palace, again, another tremendous counter-attack inside. Have they got the defensive quality? Probably not. And I think Pep needed time <coughs> for me to figure out which kind of team played which kind of way. And obviously, them teams have strengthened and weakened over the years. But the more and more Pep's got used to playing against certain sides, the more and more he knows what shape they'll play, what formation they'll, they'll play, which players they'll deploy where and how. And it allows him to pick his team before a game. So when he picks his teams, he picks them to face a specific opposition to counteract a certain fullback or a certain defensive midfielder or a certain centre-half and pinpoint people so that when it eventually comes round to us, um, you know, attacking them, we can hurt them in the best way possible. And I think for me, um, he did that perfectly playing a 3-5-2 against them or a 3-5-2-1, whatever you want to call it, a 3-4-2-1, a three, a three, shall I say. Um, and he'd done that for a reason. And it's a formation I've wanted to see us play for a long, long time. It's a formation when I believe or where I believe that Mendy, Cancelo, Walker and even Zinchenko will be able to show what they can really do. And it's the formation that will save Mendy's career at City if we continue to play it against sides that set up similar to Fulham. I think we'll see a Mendy that fans will be proud of again and, uh, and we'll see fullbacks that we, that we really, really love to see playing really, really well. And 
I think we'll see Pep change his formation quite a bit now over the back end of the season. And it's just another option to be able to play dynamic, progressive, energetic and beautifully crafted football against every team in the Premier League. Harlan's comments there suggest, and I'll come back to you in a second, Harlan, to get your opinion, but I'll start with Amy and then Paul, tends to suggest that this rumour, um, and let's, let's describe it as purely that, a rumour, that uh, Raheem Sterling, um, Phil Foden, maybe even Kevin De Bruyne, um, you know, are, are not happy um, about team selections, etc., and that Pep left Raheem out of the squad completely, left Foden on the bench, and Kevin De Bruyne, who you know, allegedly also said something um, about this sort of situation, was also on the bench. You don't subscribe to it. Doesn't sound like Harlan subscribes to that. What about? Let's start with you, Amy. I mean, obviously, there's, uh, you know, when the team's doing really well at the moment, I often think that there's people out there trying to stir the pot. But equally, you know, we won't find out perhaps till Tuesday, um, but or maybe the next press conference. But there have been a lot of accusations of this. Does that does that worry you that that team selection was was something else, another reason behind it? No, I just like I just think it's a case of being a monster. I think you know everyone doesn't like City. They don't like where City are. They don't like who City are. You know they they don't like the fact that you know we always get accused of like the oil money and all this sort of stuff. I just don't think they like who we are as a team. Um, at the end of the day, you know the uh, you know Etihad Group came in to help us out. Of course they did. Um, but Sheikh Mansour has helped the wider community. He's helped. He's he's you know made sure that where the Etihad is and the training campus is, it's made made it better and it's made that part of Manchester you know a lot lot better. And the community, you know, they've done amazing things for the community, um, and I think that's the problem. You see, they don't see the bigger picture of what what we are, what you know, what City do for the for the wider people. I mean, it's like Gundogan when it, and it was his birthday. He didn't have to go and see all them elderly people in the old people's home, but turns out he does it every year since he's been at City. No one knew. No one knew that. Um, you know, it's they don't have to do these things, but he wanted to. He wanted to do all that, and I just think that people just don't, especially like the likes of Sky Sports and BT, and you know the people whoever. They really don't like us, and I think a lot of pe- you know a lot of people will do the damnedest to try and like stir rubbish. Um, I really can't see Phil even doing that. I can't see him knocking on the door on Pep's door. I mean, he might have like knocked on to ask him like certain things, but I can't see him and Sterling have a, having a go. I really can't. They just don't come across as that type of person. And Kevin, already, you know, he's fair, seems fairly quiet. Um, in the background and like he's more aggressive on the pitch if he was like there according to what what said he would he never said anything about pep he just said that he was he was sticking up for sterling um but by the weirdness of it it said that it was somebody somebody on the outside had heard these rumors but i honestly think they are just rumors and i think people are trying to stir rubbish up john paul what do you think um to be honest with you, I, I, the only thing I've seen is on Twitter, and it's it's been to be forced by a couple of the um, ITK in the no sites. Um, it's just been mischievous. I think a lot of too many people now. There's a lot of people with a lot of followers, and you know you just have to say one you know one small little thing, um, and you can get loads of people believing it. You, you know that's that's media. Um, Twitter and Facebook and places like that are full of um, people who want to be in the media and, you know, everyone's got a voice now. So you get yourself, you know, 30,000 followers and come up with an idea and post it out there and you're going to get a percentage of them that believe it. So I can't think for one minute that any any senior pros at City and especially Phil Foden, and again, I'm quite happy to hold my hands up and, you know, say, you know, if it does turn up that it's true, because it'll be a massive shock to me and a big disappointment if it is true. Um, but I just don't see it. Um, I don't see Phil Foden. He's just happy to be in any any game he can play. Um, De Bruyne has just come back from injury. 
So how he can be going in and giving his 10 penalty, I don't know. And as for Ryan Sterling, he's played mo- a lot of matches this season. So he just doesn't add up. I think it's just being people mischievous, um, plucking at straws and wanting a few clicks and likes on the uh, the websites. I assume you agree with that, Harlan, because you, in your first little account of the game at Fulham, sort of hinted that way, didn't you? Yeah, Um it's one of them, you know, players miss out. If Sterling plays and Mendy doesn't get played, Mendy's the one knocking on the door maybe saying, you know, when am I going to play again? Regardless of what fans think of Mendy, he's still a player. Uh, he's, 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 you know, maybe not the best left-sided player in the squad. Uh, people seem to prefer Zinchenko, um, each to their own. But at the end of the day, if Mendy's fit, I'm sure after four or five games of not playing, he'd probably be thinking does this gaffer not like me or something? And he'd be the one knocking on the door. Listen, how can you keep a squad of 25 happy when, say, 11 or 12 or 13 of them are playing really, really well week in, week out? And the players that you've had on the bench for the last five weeks are also playing well when you bring them on. How hard is it to rotate a squad of 25? Do you know what I mean? And keep everyone happy at the same time. It's such a difficult thing to do. And for me... Sterling scores goals. And for me, and I'll say this, because I know Paul's not a fan of this either, and I know that you're not, and I don't think Amy is either from what we've heard in the past. But I like statistics. I studied statistics at university. I did performance analysis. I studied sports science. I know what performance statistics are, and I know what pretty stats are. And there's far too many statisticians on Twitter, on Facebook, making players look better than they are, right, to try and fit an agenda, to try and rubbish other people's agendas on players. I've had Rodri stats chucked at me left, right and centre all year. And I don't want them because what I want is I want to see progressive passes. And fair enough, he's been, been, you know, he's improved over the season. He's been a lot better. And I've enjoyed watching him more in the second half of the season than I did in the first. I've enjoyed watching him more in the second half of this season than I did in the first half and second half of last season. Because I feel like he's growing as a player. Is he Fernandinho? No, he's not. Will he be Fernandinho? In my opinion, no, he won't. That's why I think we'll go out and buy another central defensive midfielder. But Rodri's possession, um, Rodri's composure and his ability on the ball will be used by us in certain games against certain sides where we can control possession and where we can use him effectively. But for me, if Rodri gets dropped for five games and Fernandinho's in because... Pep believes that Fernandinho is more combative against teams that are going to be a bit more physical in midfield. Then if Rodri goes knocking on his door, that's a, that, that's something between them two. And then Pep will explain, look, Fernandinho is more suited to this game for me. Sterling's performances this year, stats or not, haven't been the Sterling that we saw in 17, 18 or 18, 19. He's having too many shots per goal. So there's a stat for you. If you look at his shots per goal, I think it's gone up to about four or five shots per goal now. And I think in 18-19, it was about 2.3 shots per goal or something like that, or 3.3 or something. So there's your stats. So he's clearly underperforming by his own standards, not by Jesus' standards or Sane's standards, by his own standards. So that backs up why Pep maybe thinks that I don't want to be giving a player that's going to need five shots a chance when I could play Mendy, who will whip balls in, and Jesus may only need to take a shot to score. So it's one of them where Pep's got his reasons, and I back him 100% with it. Because for me, another player, uh, De Bruyne, come back from injury, fair enough, give a bit of leeway with it. But if De Bruyne was to leave, and I said it on Twitter, if De Bruyne was to leave at the end of this season or the end of next, or, for example, we weren't to you know, agree a new contract with him, I personally rate him, but I wouldn't be absolutely, you know, arrow to the heart, devastated that Kevin De Bruyne has left the club. Because I feel that over the last two years, Pep has been developing other players, Bernardo Silva, uh, Ilkay Gundogan being deployed in a different role, performing well, adding goals to his game as well, have bridged the gap now between us without Kevin and us with Kevin. And I think that those players would make up the difference if he was to depart the club. And I think we'd be able to cope without him. You know, it's not the end of the world. He's a great player, but I think we'd cope. So if players have got an issue and we can play without them, fair enough. Don't be here then. It's as simple as that. Obviously, Sergio Aguero is another big talking point, and uh, I hope you've 
you've been watching the the interview that I did with Pablo Zabaleta, which is on the Forever Blue YouTube channel. So far, three, as we're recording this anyway, by the time you listen to it, it might be more. But three of the five videos have, have gone up. The first one was about Sergio Aguero uh, and about the Champions League. And uh, Zabaleta said to me that he'd spoken to uh, Sergio after the Manchester derby and that he'd been really upset angry I think was the word he used that he hadn't played in that Manchester derby which is really I suppose what Harlan was talking about keeping everybody in the squad happy uh, but it, we're now getting to the point where this icon this man that that means so much to us as City fans the, the you know the record goal scorer for the club the the man who scored the goal at 93-20 you know that he, he is possibly never going to be equaled you know this man though is coming towards the end of his time is he I mean he played the full 90 minutes at Fulham he didn't look quite to me as sharp as he has done in the past, but that might just be that he's still easing his way back to full fitness. It could be that the team played in another way that didn't necessarily 100% suit his style of football. He hasn't committed yet where he's going. He's in the final six months of his contract. It felt to me as if Pablo, without putting words in his mouth, was semi-suggesting that he might now go to Barcelona to link up with Messi, when I'd been hoping that Messi or at least thinking that Messi might come to link up with Sergio at City. So where do we stand on, on Sergio? Now, our Sergio expert in this group is, is Amy, right? Because she's in love with him. And I hope you don't mind me saying that because you say it enough times yourself. So <laughs> as, a, as a self-professed Sergio <laughs> obsessive, where do you stand now on Sergio Aguero? Uh, obviously, on my love for him, I would be... Well, I... I think I'd need two years off work. I actually would if he left. I really would. Um, I understand that, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, I understand that, you know, leg go. My my back is already, like, going now. So I can imagine, like, you know, your legs do eventually tend to go and you do need them as a footballer. Um but I will actually be absolutely devastated. There's not, I, you won't be able to speak to me for weeks, I honestly. But no, I would like him to stay for at least another year. But if he's, you know, if he wants to go, as much as I would be absolutely devastated, I understand his reasons for going. He's always said he wanted to go back to his Barrier club. We've always known that. But you know, the, the weird thing about, you know, when he said, I'm not going till we've won the Champions League. And I keep thinking, don't win so we can stay. Um, but no, that's just selfish of me. <laughs> the other way of looking at that, though, is that if we if we did win the Champions League this year, he would have fulfilled his dream. And then, then you wouldn't be grudging going, would you? No, I'd just be really upset. No, I no, I'm in all seriousness, but you know, I was devoured when Vinny Company left. I was devastated when Joe Art went. I was devastated when Micah Richards left. I'm just like, just you know, these people have like been in, you know, but Paul Dickoff and Uwe Rosler and Ken Cladsey, they were they were my favourites growing up. And Aguero is now like this this person that's that's now part of this part of my life and you know and he, I'll be I will actually be really really devastated but I know there is a point where everyone has to go and the, the new generation have to move up and I'm a fickle girl I'll probably like somebody else when he's gone you know like so it's not um like I say I've I've, I've lost a few of the, my favorite men along the along the city line but no, in all fairness, if he if he's if he goes, he, you know, it's it's because he can't no longer stay. Um, but I would just before I, I bring Paul in, though. Just before I bring Paul in, let, let me just ask you if you can to take the emotion out of this because I yeah, feel the emotion. Sorry. Do you no, think no. that do you think that Sergio's best days are behind him? And if City are going to go out and sign somebody like Erling Haaland, which is obviously what a lot of City fans want to happen, doesn't that naturally mean that Sergio goes and, um, you, you know, the new young blood comes in? And are we, are we not now seeing the sad end of, of Sergio as, as that great player? Or do you think still he's got something in him? I still think he can play. I really do. I honestly do think he, he, can, he can go on a bit longer. I really do. Taking the emotion out of it, I really do think, you know, yeah, he was a bit, 
thingy yesterday, but you you did see still the flourishes of him of his little light shooting that he does, and he's like getting in in front of the goalkeeper to try and like score and stuff. And you could see the passion when he scored that penalty. You know, he obviously still loves the club very much, and you know, and he's he's thanked the fans yesterday for all the you know all the messages of support and stuff, and he said that he'll keep fighting for the team. And I do still believe that he you know he he will still fight for his place, and he will still fight for his his uh, team, and he'll fight for us fans. And I do hope that, you know, we get back to the Etihad and we do get to still see him for, you know, another, you know, if it means another season, then I'll be quite happy. But, you know, if he's, if he's got to go, he's got to go, but I will be, I will be devoted. <laughs> Paul, you're, you're an ex-rugby player, um, <clears throat> built very much like Sergio, you know, squat and powerful. Um, I think that's probably where I draw the line in comparing the two of you. But uh, nevertheless, you know, there comes a time for everybody, especially power players, you know, those thick calves that he has and, you know, where all that pressure goes through his knees because of quick turns. Have we got to the point possibly? Did you know when that point was yourself where you think, well, you know what, in all honesty, I'm not quite the player I was before? Well, I'd just like to thank you for that, again, actually, because I'm normally... uh likened to Danny DeVito. So I'm quite happy to be described as uh, in that way, to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's weird because this, 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 this COVID has kind of... <sighs> I, I, I love Aguero to bits. I've got a tattoo with him, as you know, Ian, on my arm. Um, so Aguero's always going to live in my memory and he's going to live on me, if you like. So, yeah, be jealous of that, Amy. I've got Aguero on my arm there. Um, I've got a picture with him, so it, I've met him, so it's fine. <laughs> Sounds like John Baker. Um, <laughs> so, There's a mate of ours who likes to meet everybody. Let's let's put it that way, yeah. <laughs> I've met him, <laughs> but, but it's got to the point where he's been injured now for pretty much... Um, I, I mean, the statistics yesterday kept getting drummed into us by Ian Dark, is it 447 hours, minutes or something since he scored a goal or whatever. So we've been without him for quite some time. And Sergio, whenever he's been injured before, and, and to be honest, he has been injured quite a bit, if you look at it over the seasons. He took four or five games to get back into it until he's fit. Now, when I was 34, I had to stop playing rugby with, uh, with a hip injury. So I know that 34 is a kind of... It's kind of a, a leeway for us highly tuned athletes, so it, it, it could be it, it, it could be the end of in this, to be honest. And uh, he's going to go back to Barcelona at some point, and I'm just wondering whether you know, which will be very sad because we, you know, it'll, it'll have been like we've not had him for twelve months, so he's going to he's just going to be like his career has petered out with us, um, and I'd hate to. I'd hate for him to, to spend another 12 months with us. And this is, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'd hate for him to spend another 12 months with us and not be the same Sergio that we knew two years ago, if you like. Because it'd be two seasons since we've we've sort of seen him. And, and I'd, hate, I'd hate to see that. Um, if he goes, he goes. I don't want him to go. But if he does go, same as uh, he said earlier about Kevin De Bruyne, you know, if we've managed without him for quite some time and there's players in there now that we need to replace him at some point. So this might, this might be the opportunity where we've got to replace him because he's going. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I'll be very sad to see him go when he does go though. What do you think, Harlan? Um, is Sergio's time done? No, it's not. And I mean, it, just the, the, the pace is still there. It's waiting to just be unleashed. Uh, there was a, there was a sprint he did um, in in the game before last, and it was absolutely Sergio of 2011. I, I just saw it. He, the, the, I think there was a there was a press, and uh, he sprinted about. I think he sprinted about 15 yards at rapid pace, and I thought he's really. It's like if, if Paul repairs a car and says, "Don't overdo it when you come off the uh, you know when you come off the I don't know what you call it, Paul. You know you lift." When you bring oh, them back sure. down and you let them go. Yeah. And uh, and you said to him, right, yeah, you're ramp, you're sorted, you're fine, you're ready to go. Uh, but I've fixed your alternator or whatever. Uh, don't, you know, bust your exhaust off, but uh, just 
go. You know, but don't don't overdo it. Serge ignored all that advice and went for it. And I saw him and I thought, mm, I hope he's not tweaked something there. But it was rapid. And it just shows you that when he when he came back from injury last time and he said, I feel like the best version of myself. I feel like I'm at the best I've been since I signed for the club. <clears throat> I'm thinking that that might be, he might be even better now. What must have happened last time when he got that injury to the knee and the injury to, the, I think it was the, the, the hamstring, wasn't it? They, they said that maybe, maybe they didn't fix him as much as they maybe could have done at the time and he was still playing really well. Maybe this 12 months out was exactly what a player like him needed at his age to completely rejuvenate him because he's never really had longer than four months out. He's not played a game, really, bar a couple of Champions League games for 12 months and a few league games here and there, a few cup games dripped in, dripped out. So for me, if we're to give Sergio a new contract of a year, a year's extension's enough, I think. But, you know, two years, three years, then you're probably going to get to the stage that Paul thinks he's at now where you're trying to keep hold of a player for sentiment rather than for performance reasons. But I think another year... Um, and I think that a player like Erling Haaland, if he comes in, he's not going to learn off Jesus, is he? He's going to learn off Aguero. Somebody needs to... I think Aguero needs to be there to hand the bat on over. And yeah, Haaland's a different player to him. Completely different. You know, he's like a Lewandowski. Aguero's more of a... a, a not gonna, Suarez is more of an Aguero, if you want to call it that. Not, not the other way around. But different strikers. But Sergio could teach him a few things, and you need mentors. And when you look at Diaz, uh, he's, he's 23... But he's kind of probably being mentored by Laporte. Many people might not be able to believe that. He's a bit older than him. Um, company mentored John Stones, which is why he put him in his all-time 11. Because he said when he came in, he saw really good things from him. I think if we were to sign a striker now, whether Messi comes or not, you'd need somebody to hand the baton over to someone like Erling Haaland or, or, or Latoro Martinez or whoever it is that comes in. Or Joe Felix, if he's to come this time round and, 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 and then the Haaland stuff just went into fruition. So I think that Sergio is more than worthy of a new contract. And I think that this next, sorry, it's this last bit of surgery and this, this rehabilitation period, if we can call it that, is going to have benefited him massively. And I think, I think there's still another 20 odd goals in that man's boots, me personally. I really do. And if he goes to Barcelona, you watch. Atletico Madrid made the same mistake. All right, Suarez wasn't injured, but they were saying that he was cantering through games. He's gone to Atletico this year and he's almost hit 20. And they said he was done. They said he was finished. And now he's top of the league with Atletico, completely dwarfing Barca for the majority of the season. And I can imagine Serge leaving us, going to Barca and scoring 25 goals in the Liga. And everybody said he was finished at City. And we're then looking, going, oh, we could have given him another year. Let's not be, oh, we could have given him another year. Let's give it him then. Let, don't, 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 you know, don't do it after the horse has bolted. He's our player. Keep hold of him for another year. You know, if we do sign um, Erling Haaland, the problem is going to be that when you come on the pa podcast, Haaland, uh, we're going to get very confused <laughs> with Haaland and Haaland, aren't we? So, uh, uh, and by the way, this week I did I did make contact with Alfie Haaland um, and to see if he fancy coming on a podcast. <laughs> he didn't rule it out, but he said not at the moment. So uh, you can read that into that whatever you want. Um, now, a little bit earlier on today, um, we attempted to have Michelle Vonk, the former Manchester City player, on the podcast. Um, Michelle is based in Holland. Um, he works in junior football at the moment. He spent, uh, I think, three, three and a half years at Sort City in the 90s. He was signed by Peter Reid. He was a defender, a Dutch defender with, with a lot of quality that I thought. And and we, we, I tried to chat to him. We tried to record it, but we had a few glitches uh, now, Will, who is the technical man that works with me on these podcasts, um, hopefully has been able to recover a little bit of what um, Mr. Vonk had to say. So we're now going to hear some of his words of wisdom. Um, how would you describe, Michelle, the, the football that City are playing at the moment? Is it? Would you describe it as, as beautiful football? I mean, I... I've heard lots of people say that, but at the moment it, it looks quite easy for City as well. So how would you describe it? And why why is City so good at the moment? Yeah, it's totally football. Uh, it's flowing, everybody's moving, the ball is getting from back to the front and, um, and we're dominant on the pitch and we're a force to uh, be reckoned with. And uh, I can see the style of playing 
which was, um, well, back in the days, the Dutch team, 1974, total football on the World Cup uh, with the great leader, Johan Cruyff. And um, after he became a manager, I think he introduced uh, this type of playing uh, at Ajax and later on uh, at Barcelona, which was uh, one of his players was Pep Guardiola. And uh, another, uh, a lot of players, Ronald Koeman, who is at Barcelona now, they are very much inspired by the way that time Barcelona was playing. And I think uh, Pep has inherited that style of playing and put on another mix of his own ideas and makes this team uh, unbelievably good. Uh, it's, uh, it's very good to watch. They are uh, a flowing team and they are heading for the title, no doubt. Pep doesn't seem to want to take all the credit himself. He often says that uh, the way that his team plays is down to the players about having the best players. And he admits that you've got to have at least equal resources with the teams that you're challenging for. So he's very modest, really, in that way. Do you think he deserves more credit than he's given himself? Or is it just simply about having the most, the most money and, and the best players? Is, is he right in what he's saying? Well, it, it, it gives him credit that he's humble and he says um, he has a really good squad. So in, in fairness, uh, he, all the positions are doubly taken. And yesterday he put out a team uh, with a lot of other players who are not displaying much, but uh, and they win also the game 3-0 against uh, Fulham. And um, they are competing amongst themselves uh, who's playing every game and uh, as a manager your only job is to keep them happy and it's a it's a blessing that you have a, a very good squad to uh, to pick your team from and uh, I think he's doing a great job with that. As a defender yourself how much credit do you give on the run that City are on at the moment the you know the introduction of Ruben Diaz who's been given a, a lot of praise almost Virgil van Dijk like praise this season for for the way that City he came in and started to play regularly and City started to win every week is it all down to him is it, how much credit do you give him well he's one of the players in the back at the moment who are um the backbone of a team. Uh, if you look at teams are, are finishing up high on the table or on top, they are the teams that don't concede much goals. That helps a lot in your your chase for the title. Uh, look at the Liverpool last year with Van Dijk. Uh, he played brilliantly at the back. They were were hard to beat. They um, they were ahead of the uh, with points and not conceding much goals. Uh, look at them now without Van Dijk. Uh, they look like amateurs at the moment. They they can't win a game and they're conceding goals. So it's really important to have a, a really good back. So uh, in all fairness, everybody helps to defend. It starts from the front. But uh, if you have two central defenders and a good goalie who can stop people scoring, that's, uh, that's the main job. That was my job as well. <laughs> Absolutely. What about the City's prospects in the Champions League this season? Do you think they can win it? Well, they're on a good run. So uh, a team which is in form, uh, they have a good feeling. They, they're winning on every level, uh, every in every league. So I give them a good chance. Yes. So that's Michel Vonk. Um, unfortunately, not as much perhaps as we would have wanted, but... Um, Michelle has promised that he will sit down and do an interview with me at some stage. So he might get a chance to either put a bit of that interview up on the YouTube channel or perhaps in a future podcast, play a little bit more of it uh, and perhaps talk a little bit about his career as well when he was at, as at City. Um, but what he did say was that he felt that Pep's football was based now on Johan Cruyff, his great mentor, his great hero, and that total football that... that uh, the, the Dutch played, um, I can particularly remember in 1974 when Neyskins and Rep and, and and obviously Cruyff himself was playing. Germany won the World Cup in 74. Um, I mean, Paul will remember this very vividly because he was he was already middle-aged by then. Uh, but obviously, Amy's too young and so is, is Harlan. Well, I can remember it uh, just about, a very, very small boy, um, but... Um, that was total football, and that and and this is total football. Uh, I mean, 
Let, let's ask the tactical expert who has no memory of that era, Harlan, about total football. Is is that what this is? Is that are we watching the ultimate total football that you can pick at, at Fulham, one attacking midfielder, a lot of strikers and a lot of defenders, and it still works? That's total football, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is indeed. And I think when you look at, I mean, one one thing for me is one one key key indicator as to why this is total football is in because. I remember when I was when I started going to football school um, in the summer. I think you know John Platt, don't you yourself? John Platt was running the soccer school at um, in Crompton, which is where I ended up going in the end. And he ran that between about two thousand or ninety nine and two thousand three. So we used to get a few ex players coming up. Um, and when you were playing at that age, and I was playing for Charlie Grasshoppers on Clayton every Sunday, uh, Saturday morning, um, you you were coached and you were taught to maybe try and mirror what a certain side in the world was doing at that time. Um, I think football's moved now into a into a far more technical um, era now where we've got lots more uh, statistical ways of analysing things. There's lots more technology to do analysis, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that is all better for the game, especially when you look at what Pep requires. I mean, the guy's talking about the surface needing to be... And it looks, it looks very, very good on television. I mean, you want to go and see some of the pitches that we played on, some of the pitches Paul played on uh, when he was playing rugby. The Etihad pitch is a carpet compared to that, and it's still not good enough for Pep. And that shows you the attention to detail and the fact that every passage of football requires a very, very top-notch pitch. Um, but we were always taught to try and play a certain way and mirror certain sides. You look at coaches now, I know a couple myself in Bolton uh, that are coaching um, you know, kids at uh, different age groups, and you hear the name Pep, uh, you know, uh, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, City... Uh, all young sides, the majority of the young sides now are trying to play this new brand of football. It's had such an influence on many rising stars, many rising coaches. Um, and that, for me, is a good indicator as to why it's total football, because it's completely totaling people out. It's taking over people's, you know, young coaches' philosophies are going out the window because they're now wanting to play someone else's philosophy. You know, everything they've, they've, they've coached teams to do over the years, from the 90s to the early 2000s, throwing that in the bin now and going, well, I used to win games like that, but maybe I try it Guardiola's way in the Bury and District League. And it's coming off. And there's, there's, there's teams probably playing it and, and winning titles because of it. And I think that just shows you that when you look at that and you look at the the, 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 the amount of enjoyment you get from watching it. You know, my mate, the Bolton fan, he said to me, it's boring watching, watching City play. It's boring. And now his side are playing it. They're successful because of it. And they think it's the best thing in the world. Because it's been given time to develop. And once you get it right, you get it right. You're going to lose games. You're going to draw games. But you'll win the majority of them. And I think that's what every fan wants to see in life. They want to see the football team doing well. And they want to see them doing well by playing a beautiful brand. And I think we have won the bloody lottery. Pardon the language. I must say, I saw Bolton um, a couple of weeks ago playing at Oldham. And, uh, and I have to agree with what Harlan's saying because... Um, Bolton were the best team I've seen in League Two. Now, I know it's only League Two, but I was astounded by the way that they were playing out from the back and trying to play football in the right way. I mean, my memory goes back earlier to 1982 when um, Brazil were beaten by a very cynical Italy that had Paolo Rossi up front. And again, and this is probably going over the head of quite a few people listening and, and maybe all of the people who are involved in the podcast. But that Brazil team with Adair, Socrates and Falcao and whatnot were majestic. I loved watching them. And yet a very defence-minded Italy came along who played on the counter-attack, scored three goals through Paolo Rossi and knocked that Brazil team out. And I wonder whether, and a fear, because I, I love watching this type of football, this type of total football. It is exactly what I've always dreamed of. Um, I just wonder whether there'll be some sort of cynical response to this um, in the future that's going to negate everything that that we're enjoying at the moment. Um, but when you were when you were growing up, Paul, and I, I don't know what, who do you've been watching? Perry Suckling playing in goal for City, and um, Joe Corrigan maybe, and you know, and 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 different different defenders, and dare I say, even Michel Vonk, who was a Dutchman, who who you know was, but he was more of a an old-fashioned centre-back. I'm not sure that that type of footballer exists now in the way Pep wants to play, does he? No, I think you're right. I mean, I, I, my team was sort of like, you know, Joe Corrigan was in net 
So it was that era when I sort of remember, you know, watching the games and being regular to Main Road. <clears throat> um, it was when you had central defenders like Dave Watson, who, you know, he'd stick his head on anything. Um, you know, and, and when you say that, I've got to interrupt you and say, obviously, we're we're seeing stories at the moment. I saw absolutely. Dave Watson at Colin Bell's funeral, and I know he's suffering from dementia, which may yeah. have come from all this heading that 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 defenders did in that era, and 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 this might be an indirect consequence of the the total football. But total football is essentially played on the ground, so maybe mm -hmm. this concern going forward of footballers having a dementia in later life might ease considerably if it not doesn't go completely away by the fact that the ball is on the ground all the time. I didn't mean to cut across you then, Paul, but I think yeah. it's an important point to make. No, exactly. And I was, I was about to say that because I saw um, I, I saw something on Twitter this week about Dave Watson and he, he's, he's, he's a legend. He, he was a man's man in football, um, you know, and no holds barred and it was a pleasure to watch players like him he was you know no messing about clear your lines it was you know no passing out from the back it was bang header get it away oof it up the field and let the players do their you know the footballers do their their work um i'm not i hope i'm not doing him injustice when i say that but i'm i hope you know what i mean when i'm saying that he you know we had players that were defenders we had mike doyle was like that really wasn't he mike doyle yeah yeah, absolutely. He, he let other let other players do the thing. I think it was Jackie Charlton said, you know, it's like I, I just defend, I just clear the ball, who fill up the field and let my brother do the magic, you know, and, and and that's that's how that's how football was then. You didn't have this holding midfield, um, you know, attacking midfielder. You had a midfield. That was it. It was a midfielder, you had you had fullbacks, you had central defend uh, central defenders and strikers, or you know goal scorers. There was no this false number nine and blah blah blah. There was none of that then. Um, so I mean, you watch you watch it now. I mean, it was like well, I think it revert to what you were saying back earlier about you hope the team hasn't come to negate what we can do quality. Well, it's already here as far as I can see. Um, the derby result the other week, um, you know. Our great, fantastic team destroyed, you know, beaten by glorified Sunday footballers. As far as I, I, I were, you know, we had, we, we, <laughs> we had, we had, you know, um, Luke Shaw sort of bullying our midfield. I mean, I never thought I'd think I'd say that, but it can happen. You can have this beautiful football inside completely ruined by a team of cloggers. To the point, as always, Paul. Um, <laughs> beautiful football, Amy. Are you in? You know, is this, is this the ultimate football that Pep's playing? And have you even heard of Johan Cruyff? And that sounds so insulting to say that to you. I'm sure you have, <laughs> but, but, but you won't remember him playing, will you? No, I won't remember him playing, but I have heard of him, and I know that Pep. You know, he was Pep's obviously mentor, and you know, he he respected highly respected him. I mean, the thing that I think with Pep is that. That man is never still. And I think he's constantly looking, you know, I can imagine he's, you know, it's it's a bit like being like part of the, on the, well, coming from a nation, it's like artistic spectrum. It's like, you know, he's, he's he needs things to be perfect and uh, he's always busy and he's always analysing things. And I can imagine that he never rests. I can imagine that he's always like watching stuff and he's reading stuff and he's, constantly you know evolving how he how he works and things like that and I suppose you know it's like like now um myself I've last year I started an open university course because I just wanted to keep my mind occupied because my granddad died of dementia and I just had that thing of like I think you still need to keep your mind active and your mind to go and I'm forever messing about on my phone for no apparent reason whatsoever. It's just boredom, basically. So I thought, if I do this open university course, it's got my mind going, and, and, and this next one I'm doing is criminology, um, you know, because I'm, I'm really into, like, true crime and things like that. So to constantly have your mind going, and I think that's what Pep's like. He, he ne He's never still, and he wants to keep analysing, and he wants to keep look, doing things over and over again. And 
I think that's that's good because you know it it, it means that he's you, you're never going to know what he's thinking. You you're never going to know. I, I mean, I used to predict the team on the City app. I've stopped doing that now because uh, there's no way that you will ever know what that man is thinking. And I think that's quite clever, really. And I thought I thought when we did the City documentary. I thought people started start to realise what Pep was doing and I, and I saw it, obviously, like last season and the season before, you know, people had started working out what our strategies were and I thought, oh, God, no, like, as much as the documentary was good, they're going to see what Pep's doing and they're going to work stuff out. Um, but, yeah, I think you'll never know what Pep is thinking and I think that the man is just... He's just amazing. He's just absolutely amazing. I just don't think you, you're never going to know what that is. An evil genius. He's just like, I just think he's brilliant. We need to bottle that speech by Amy. That was brilliant, wasn't it? Um, go on. <laughs> I, I know that Harlem uh, is a deep thinker. So he's been thinking while you've been speaking and he's got something to say. So I'm going to give him a fanfare. <laughs> da, 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 da. Here's Harlem. <laughs> well, f- first off, I think that was quality, Amy. I think that is, that is I, I don't think either me, Paul, or Ian or any fan that supports the club could have summed that up in a more eloquent way then. Uh, what a mind. Come on, what a mind. The guy, the, he apologised last week. I mean, he's been pulling out all the stops. I mean, what a comedian. The last couple of weeks, Pep's been on absolute fire, winding people up by saying the opposite, trying to cater for their needs and their cravings of negative stuff about money and about... Chris Wilder being a top manager and better than him and all that and brilliant. I think he's played an absolute blinder and uh, he apologised for being over-analytical and uh, busy, like Amy said, and constantly being obsessed and being so erratic at times and so powerful with his players. And he said, I'll probably grow out of that when I get to 60. Do you know what, Pep? Keep it, because it makes him exactly who he is. And he's been like that since his, since his career started in a way, but... Yeah, one thing, Ian, is uh, is this, and I, and I did this initially last year after watching Sergio's 180 goals on YouTube. Um, I went and edited it uh, on the 20th of Feb, so that was before this game he played against Fulham, and obviously the statistics now were a goal out and a game out, so apologise for that. But I worked out some statistics for you, which I think are more meaningful than half the stuff that gets spaffed on Twitter. And, 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 and Facebook to try and make players look better than they are. This completely makes this player look as good as he is. Um, at 180 goals in 268 games, Sergio Aguero is still 80 goals off Alan Shearer's all-time record of 260 um, in 441 games. Sergio's current goals-to-games ratio, as it stands at the moment, is 0.67 goals per game. He's also missed 114 Premier League games through injury. That considered, by his own standards, he'd have potentially scored 77.5 extra goals. That into consideration, that takes him to 253.5, 2.5 goals off Shearer's 260. He, at present, the 19 for the second 21, has played 173 less Premier League matches than Alan Shearer. Goals per game's ratio applied, that's a further 115.9 goals. Now, hypothetically speaking, at Shearer's appearance total of 441, Scoring at Sergio's own goals-to-games ratio, an injury-free Serge would have scored 373.4 goals or 373 in 4-4-1. Hypothetical as it may be, it's there for all to see that injury-free on the same games and his own goals-to-games ratio of 0.68, absolute obliteration of Shearer's record. Over his nine years, he's also missed games due to non-selection, games that that he most likely would have scored in. He has 14 games left on his current contract and still has played less games than Shearer. There's no doubt in my mind that this absolute Argentinian genius and prolific goal scorer would have absolutely obliterated the 260 that Shearer scored in the Premier League. I don't think we can end the podcast any better than that. That was brilliant, that Arlen. Um... Unbelievable. <laughs> yes, incredible. Pep Guardiola this week. You understand that, but well, that was brilliant. Uh, what a great contribution from you three, uh, from uh, from Amy, from Paul, from Harlan, and also from uh, Michelle Vonk. Uh, we'll be back to do more next week. Uh, thanks very much to CharlesLewis.co.uk, the sponsors of this podcast. Remember to go over to the 
Forever Blue YouTube channel and check out that interview in five parts with Pablo Zabaleta. Um, and who knows who I could talk to in the future. Uh, so thanks very much for your support. And uh, we'll do it all again next week. And after two great wins this week, isn't it great being a blue?